Hello and welcome to another episode of The Lowdown. Today I am delighted to be joined by the President and CEO of United City Football Club, that is Eric Gottschalk. United City Football Club are one of Asia's biggest powerhouses at the moment and most recently won the 2020 Philippine Championship. Eric, welcome to the show. Connor, good morning to you and thank you very much for having me. The pleasure. Eric, we begin every podcast by asking everyone as to where their love and passion for football originate. With you, it's no different. Um, off camera, we spoke about you being a big Hamburg fan, unfortunately, tethering away in the Bundesliga too at the moment. But tell me, where did this love begin? But just going back to this Hamburg thing, it's very easy because I'm not competing with anybody. So any discussion I have, you know, people are with Manchester United or with Bayern Munich or with Barcelona. So when I say I'm Hamburg, I'm always neutral. So I'm not stepping on anybody's toes. I'm not competing with anybody. So it's a, it's a good place to be in, but uh, they should be doing a little bit better. Passion for football, to be very honest. Uh, initially, it was, uh, I started off with football as a kid. My dad was my coach um, and our youth teams. Um, but I became very quickly a tennis player. And uh, for a while, I've done both at the same time. Uh, tennis then got me through university and through college and everything. Um, and uh, the love for football at that stage pretty much just remained as being, you know, uh, a spectator and, and, and following the professional football. Uh, Business-wise, football has taken uh, center stage, um, which... Uh, that now basically highlighted uh, last year with taking over a, a professional football club in Southeast Asia. And uh, so the understanding of football and obviously the love for the game and following it uh, has, uh, has always been the same. But uh, initially it was really the small tennis ball before it became more like the, the bigger balls now. It's terrific to hear. And I suppose being the main topic we're going to discuss today, how did you exactly come into your current role at United City Football Club? There's been a long uh, uh, history with me working in the Philippines. Um, uh, I'm resident still in Dubai, as you know, uh, and we started organizing in 2009, 10, 11, the friendly matches and the training camps of the national team. There was a German coach. Uh, he reached out to us and uh, that's how we started the connection. So we had done, I don't know, at least 10 or 15 international friendly matches against Australia. Uh, we even had an official friendly with the UAE. Um, we had Ivory Coast. Uh, we brought the team to Qatar. So they played against they played against some club teams in Qatar. So that was really the, the initial stages uh, of building a relationship with the Football Federation. Um, over the last few years, we hosted a, a sports, a football business conference in the Philippines. Uh, we're working with the Football Federation on a membership program, and uh, there have been a lot of connections. And we've been part of the, the professional league, which is now in place for the last three years, on and off in different roles. Um, last year, the, 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 the powerhouse of the Philippines and of Southeast Asia, Ceres Negros, unfortunately, had financial troubles due to the global pandemic. Uh, the team decided or the management decided to close the doors. Uh, they wanted to abandon uh, the club and everything. And uh, I was approached by the Federation and asked if there's any way that we can somehow rescue the team or if we can do something with it. Um, and I got, uh, got a, few, two friends, a few friends together and uh, we decided it's, it's worth the investment and the time. 
So last year in July, we committed for taking over the team. We, uh, we re-signed almost all of the players that were under contract and we decided to, to just give it a shot. And um, yeah, so that's how I ended up with it. Uh, me being on the ground in the Philippines, uh, setting up the team, setting up the club. And uh, what has started just uh, for looking at one season has now become uh, almost a full-time project with very, very ambitious long-term goals. And Eric, you look at the probably most common methods of acquiring a club. You look at that process between due diligence and the official acquisition of the club. Of course, I mean, your ownership group and the acquisition under tenuous circumstances. What, what exactly did that process look like for you guys between due diligence and official acquisition? I'd, I'd understand it was probably a lot more expedient than normal circumstances taking over a club. Yes, what, it, what came from quite handy is that my partners and I, we've been involved with Philippine football for such a long time. So we know the ins and outs uh, of the clubs, the federation and the league, and it's still a very virgin market. So when we're talking an acquisition of a club, it basically means the acquisition of a team because the clubs in the Philippines at the moment are just starting to build their infrastructure. So they don't own the stadium, for instance. Uh, some of them have academies, uh, but you know all of the 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 what makes a European club a real club is at this stage not fully developed in the Philippines. So the, the due diligence process is basically you you manage the risk. You can you evaluate how much sponsorship money you can maybe generate. Um, what's the cost of the players? Uh, are you going to be competitive on a on a local level and possibly on an on an Asian level? Um, and then you, you put it in a, in a, in a very basic PNL and you say, well, it's worth doing it or not. Our process was a bit different. Uh, two years ago, we identified that the Philippines, I mean, it's a country with what, 110 million people. Um, the national team is, is actually quite uh, successful. Uh, they're very skilled on the football pitch. Philippines in the early 1900s used to be the, the, the powerhouse of football in Asia. I mean, the AFC was founded in the Philippines. Um, the uh, Alcantara used to be the, the all-time leading goal scorer for FC Barcelona until a few years ago when Messi finally uh, topped his, his goal scoring record. So there's a lot of football history in the country and it just, it, it just needed unlocking. And we made a presentation two years ago at a conference and we basically said, if the football clubs are able to... to to, to create assets and to create match day revenues, football would grow and would become much more sustainable. And we pitched for everybody should have a house. You need a house, you need a stadium, you need to be a place where your fans can come and, and, and watch your matches. And it was, a, it was really a big pitch, but nobody really took it up. And it's a bit frustrating because you see it in front of your eyes and then you realize that maybe your audience might not be ready for it yet for whatever reasons. Um, and when this opportunity with Ceres Negros came about, Ceres just won three national titles in a row. They had eight national team players on their roster and they were leading in the AFC Cup, the group stages. So we were poised to, to progress uh, quite far within the AFC Cup. And we said, okay, if we acquire the club, we could actually make a statement and set an example of how football should develop in the Philippines.
and that was really our driver. It was not of, of helping the players and, and winning a national championship. It's really to set a, a template or a blueprint of how football in the Philippines can look like. And it's all based on us creating a real club, meaning transitioning a team into a club, building a stadium, building a youth academy, having match day revenues from merchandising, having food and beverage available, sell tickets, you know, all the very basic stuff that makes a club a, a real club. Um, and that's our ambition. And that's where, we, that's where we came from. So the acquisition and the due diligence was more into what's the opportunity? Is the time right? And can we, can we pull this off? And that was really more the, the decision-making behind it. Because on the financial side, uh, we're, we're talking relatively no numbers. We're not talking, you know, the, the tens of millions or the millions of dollars that you have with, with other club acquisitions. So at that stage, it was literally 45 people, which is staff and players, uh, making sure that salaries can be paid over the next one year and then see how can we develop and how can we bring other parties to the table to really create a blueprint for Philippine football. Fantastic. It's terrific insight. Um, on my it's a long character. answer. Sorry for that. Oh, no, <laughs> I mean, I have multiple questions now for you. <laughs> but, um, Here we go. It's, it's a loaded question on my part because I think if you were to have a book, let's say, for first base principles in buying a football club, you've immersed yourself in the Philippine football market over these past 10 years. So when you guys initially took over the club, of course, that was your due diligence. You would put in 10 years of work on the ground level of getting to know the market and its big players, United City Football Club, who were just one of a small handful of those. But does it shock you then as a European football fan too, Eric? Although it's different, of course, in Germany with the 50 plus one rule. But when you see investors, be them from North America, be they European, when they go and take over a club, they try to impose their own rules, their own vision, without taking into account the groundwork, without taking into account the fans, the infrastructure, and if that's going to be a viable commercial practice at all. Does that surprise you? Um, yeah, and it's a very good question from your side. I mean, obviously... In every market you're going to step in, uh, you cannot just roll it out from something else, what you've seen somewhere else. So to bring in a European model or an American model into the Philippine markets would not work. We all know this. Um, and uh, again, I mean, with me being in the country for in and out for the last 10 years, it allows me to have probably a much better understanding of what's needed. Very important here is we're competing with basketball. And we need to build a fan community. And fan community means you need to be you need to be present on the ground. It means you need to have an academy. You need to have kids play football, wear your shirts. Uh, you need to have the players available. People need to know the players. And that's really the the most important thing that we're trying to set up at the moment is that we're on the ground and trying to get a community, a football community, um, uh, uh, set up here in the Philippines for 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 getting an interest in football. Because I've took a look on the website the last few days and you can see in bold letters on it, the vision of the club is to be the best of the best in Asia, be it on the football pitch or within the community, and to provide equal opportunities for the next generation of young talent. So what does that look like on a day-to-day -day basis, Eric? We've just spoken about it. It's not really the tangible stuff, the stuff that you can measure. How many kids are wearing your jerseys? 
how what does that look like and what is the process behind it on a day-to-day basis well if you put it in tangible numbers uh, being the best in southeast asia means you're topping the ranking in southeast asia we've did it last year already uh we want to remain there uh we haven't played in us mess- matches so that our ranking dropped a little bit just uh, just due to the fact that we didn't play in asia and we didn't play in us competitive matches um so we we can always put a measure on that one saying okay once we top the the, the asian ranking we are uh that's we, we are the best team the second thing is um being in the being in the community um it might not be as measurable um as you said but you know we 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 can measure it based on followers on our on our social media pages uh we can we can measure it in terms of you know what's the engagement level uh and uh again we we've, we've gone from zero to now 30,000 people on the facebook page and within the next 3 months we should reach about 100,000 people just based on how the numbers are growing and the content that's available um and so i think that so we we would be able to measure it at some point because if we are the most active on social media we can we can compare ourselves to the other clubs if we are uh, in the rank, topping the rankings and so on then obviously we can easily say that we are that we are the best team performance wise when it comes down to equal opportunity it's also very simple um we're setting up a men's team but at the same time uh we're also focusing on setting up a women's team so getting and and recognizing that women's football is a very very fast growing sport uh, we're putting a lot of resources into making sure that we're starting recruiting um female players already and that's where the equal opportunity comes in so we want to have a men's team that's competitive we want to have a women's team that's competitive um it's the same on our staffing so we have employed quite a few female staff so we want to make sure that the quota is there and that we're really giving everybody a chance to get regardless of, of of race or nationality or gender to be part of this organization and crucial to the organization of course is the fans crucial to any organization involved in sports eric of course being on the ground in the philippines for the past 10 years since united city football club i suppose came into its inception unfortunately COVID has hit fans being impacted too can't attend games but prior to acquiring the club what would you say the fan culture looks like in the philippines we know how big the global game is in asia but i suppose on a micro level on a domestic level could you take us inside the common match day experience i suppose in the philippines yeah and this is really one of the main issues because the teams or the clubs are not present in their home markets um matches over the last years have always been played at centralized venues so there's a venue been rented and then you have a double header and nobody really has a home game so building up a fan community is something that again is as you said correctly is at the forefront of everything we need to get people excited but we need to give them a place where they can actually come and enjoy the football of the team that they are supporting which in this case is united city and that's why we're building a stadium so that this space is available um match day experiences again um it's it looked more like that teams are playing each other um very competitive teams but tickets were usually free of charge um t-shirts have usually been given away uh matches been been shown irregularly on tv um regularly on 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 live streams and social media through through your youtube or facebook channels um so these are the things that uh everybody is is committed to changing i mean the league has only been the professional league 
is recognized by the AFC, uh, but we're only now going into our fourth season. Uh, but these are the things that everybody's aware of, and that's what we need to need to um, improve on. Match day experience, absolutely key. I mean, you want to have a venue where you have several thousand people can come in, they can cheer for their team. Uh, and uh, yeah, this is this is what makes football. That's 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 where the love of the game comes from. And uh, this is something that we still need to develop uh, here in the Philippines. I'm curious too, Eric. Um you know, it's going to be very popular given what's happened, unfortunately, this week in the European game. But the fan base, of course, since your ownership group has gone in, you've done wonderful things and you've taken over the club who were on the brink of financial collapse. But how did the fan base originally react when you went in and, of course, changed the name of the club from Cheros Negros to United City Football Club? Was it welcomed? <laughs> Of course, I mean, there's, there's always the group of people that, that cherish change and they see it as an opportunity. And there's a lot of people that are extremely negative. And then you have the traditionalists, uh, the real hardcore fans who are, who are just afraid that somebody's some, taking something away. And we've seen it with the, with the announcement of the European Super League. I mean, there was not even a discussion really on the league. Immediately, the fans went against it because they felt like something is taken away. They're so passionate about it. So when a club that has been around for such a long time, winning, winning three championships and having all the favorite players, and then suddenly, you know, a white boy from Germany comes in and takes over the club uh, and, uh, and then dares to change the name, uh, people are not really asking for too many reasons. There's obviously a lot of criticism until you prove your case. Um, we had to change the name. Uh, for, for, for two reasons. Number one, the name Ceres is a commercial name for a bus company. And under AFC, new clubs uh, are not allowed to carry the, the name of a sponsor any longer. You still have in, in some uh, Japanese clubs or even in Thailand and in Korea, obviously some clubs still, you know, having a name of Toyota something or Kawasaki something. Um, but for new clubs, this is not allowed anymore. So that was the first thing that we had to take the name Ceres off. Secondly, uh, the owners of Ceres did not want to really be associated with football and with what we are doing for very obvious reasons, because they also don't know what we are doing with it. So we all agreed that the name Ceres has to, has to diminish. Since we were looking for a place where we're going to house our team, where we're going to build our fan community, uh, and we didn't want to rush into a decision of where our home city is going to be based, we put a generic name in there which basically leads, we wanted to have a United something football club. And because we, we want to have a city fan base, we needed to have a placeholder. So that's where the name United City came from, but it's basically a placeholder. It's United somewhere football club. And uh, we have now identified this location. We're going to make an announcement in early May. Uh, and then the name uh, city will be replaced with the, with the town that will then uh, be our, our chosen ground for, for our stadium and for our home base. Um, people were very critical about it. Uh, a lot of jokes, you know, I mean, you have now Manchester United and then and, and Manchester City and, you know, City, United City, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of jokes floating around. What an ugly name, terrible name, why, why, why? Um, but I think the name has grown on people and uh, they now understand why we're doing it. Uh, the fans, especially the ultras from Ceres, obviously initially were very, very skeptical. But once they saw that our intentions are right, meaning 
the first thing we did is we made sure that we kept all the players, regardless of, of, of performance level or salary, whatever it was. We wanted to keep that team intact. And the fans, uh, in the end, they went in supporting you know, the players and they just adopted a new name. So at the moment, we don't have any, any issues whatsoever. There's no more criticism in the media about our name or what we're doing. They're just extremely excited about the prospect of having a very competitive team that is now actually playing in the AFC Champions League. And uh, the football community is extremely united in, in following us and supporting us because they wish us well once we play and representing the Philippine Colors uh, in the AFC Champions League. So it's, it's been a little bit of a, of a journey initially, but uh, I think we overcame it with, with results and uh, with good intentions. I think that's testament to the organisation and to the ownership too. And if I may add, Eric, that you look, I suppose, at the most ardent of fans and in a way you've placated them. You're in a position now nine months later where you speak about, for example, on your website, your mission statement is about equal opportunities. You've done so for men and women, having a women's team now or about to launch a women's team. You're, const you're in constant liaison with fan groups. I suppose whilst liaising with these fan groups, was there any assurances they wished from your side as to where the club is in five to 10 years? Because we've seen this so many times, not necessarily in Asia, but in Europe, in North America from time to time, where when the going gets tough, you see a lot of owners who originally they would have taken over a club, be using it originally as a play thing. They would have used it as maybe a soft geolytical power. The motives weren't all great upon acquiring a club. It's safe to assume that's not the same in your case. You've taken over the club that was on the brink of insolvency to help. But what assurances have you given to fans that essentially the same scenario which played out last year and so publicly in the Philippine football community does not happen again? Obviously, there are no assurances because we don't really know what's happening. And uh, Ceres Negros would have probably never folded without the pandemic. Uh, the owners, they're employing more than 30,000 people to their bus company. Um, there was no transportation available. And, you know, it's just a matter of priorities of uh, what you do with the money available. If you put it into, into football, which has not been played, or if you're going to pay the salaries of, of, of 30,000 uh, employees and their families. Um, so it was a little bit unfortunate what happened with Saris, and uh, it was an opportunity for us. Um, assurance, we, we can give an assurance. I mean, what we told the fans, or basically, we didn't even have to tell the story because the Football Federation, the Football League, they went out and they gave the blessing for this deal. They, they approached us and they felt comfortable that we are doing the right things. And, uh, you know, for us, this, this was much more important that the stakeholders within football, that they feel comfortable with where we are and what we're doing. Again, I'm a foreigner. Um, you know, yes, I understand the game from, from, from playing to the business side of things. And a lot of things that we're doing is, is very new. Um, and uh, I'm sure there are some people and some talks behind our backs because uh, we are challenging everybody. We're not stepping on anybody's toes. We're not imposing what we are trying to do to anybody. But if they see that within two months, we have 30,000 followers on our fan page and clubs who've been around for 15 years have 5,000 followers on their fan page, uh, somebody's going to point fingers and says, what are these guys doing? And maybe we should do something as well. 
and that's what we that was the whole intention of taking on the club that if we cannot if we cannot tell people let's show them and whatever they want to take from us whatever they want to see that's good uh, we have seen now when we were the first team that that uh, launched online merchandise sales uh, for our uh, uh, for, for our uniforms our replica shirts and since then our nearest competitor kaya has done exactly the same thing so they immediately went out of trying to set up uh, an online, they, they got an online uh, partner, uh, they got a, got a clothing chain, and they're now distributing their replica shirts uh, to their fans. Because, you know, you want, you want your shirts being available to the fans all over the country, and not only, you know, within a, within a certain proximity. Um, we also launched a, a formal sign-up for members, for membership. Again, you know, uh, every football club in the world has some kind of a supporter club. And, you know, and we don't even charge money for it. Uh, you know, European clubs, they charge anywhere between, I don't know, five and, and, and 30 euros or pounds for, for being a member. We don't even charge for it because we just want to have a tool where we can connect with them, with, the, with our fans. Uh, if they like us on Facebook, we have no way of communicating with them. But if they are a member with us, we can send them a newsletter, we can send them offers, we can have a dialogue. Um, and again, since then, two of the other clubs are now in the, in the launch phase as well of, of um, launching their own membership club. So again, what we're trying to do is we're trying to, we're not giving too much assurances. We just show them by doing. And it looks like that at least some of the clubs, they're taking some of the ideas that we have and they feel like it would be good for their clubs as well. Uh, and I think this is, this is if we're all going to do this and the game develops, that would mean that at some point also the financial results uh, of the clubs will improve and that would make the whole landscape much more uh, sustainable. Uh, one thing what we have obviously done in good times, uh, the salaries in, uh, in the Philippines of the players were extremely high. Um, and now with the pandemic, we were able to, to bring salaries more in line with, with, with revenues. and with, with, So we're paying reasonable salaries and the players are accepting it. So what some of the European clubs are discussing at the moment, you know, where, you know, with some of the British clubs, you know, salaries are just outweighing income by so much. And they need to, they need to try to bring, bring these numbers a little bit closer. Um, uh, we are already at the stage. We have really top, top players at a, at a salary that the club at this stage can afford. If we do better, maybe we're going to start paying more in the future. Uh, if not, we would also be able to reduce a little bit more. But it all has to come down to that. If we want to be in the game for a long time, we need to be able to afford it. I think when you look at the holistic big picture, Eric, you know, it's within your prerogative, of course, to make to take the steps commercially off the pitch and also on the pitch on the performance side to bring United City Football Club up, which of course has happened since. However, even when you zoom out, and look from 10,000 feet above, I think from the sounds of it, you want to provide other Philippine football clubs with a case study of how to run a football club viably and how to make it commercially sustainable within the Philippines and within the wider Asian market. So we've looked at the big picture, but if we were to distill it down to the day-to-day -day operations of running the club, being president and CEO, how multifaceted is your role on a day-to-day -day basis, Eric? At the moment, it's uh, I'm I'm pretty much because it's also my own investment. 
um, very hands-on, very much involved on the on 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 every aspect of the of the organization. The only thing that I'm totally staying away from is uh, on the pitch. Um, I was involved with every single player that was recruited. Again, I want to make sure that the players fit the philosophy that we have, that uh, that they help us to perform. Um, obviously, I have my advisors, and uh, we have we've worked through agents, we work through other coaches, recommendations from our teams, who we want to sign, who we want to retain, who we want to bring in. Um, but the the on one of the things is it's just like a like a parent when your kids are in sports, the parents should always stay out of it, and the the on the field. Uh, matters have been dealt with exclusively uh, by the coaches. So I would not interfere. I will watch the matches. I will enjoy the matches. I might get upset. I might not agree, but I don't want to interfere on that side. But I put the structure in place so that these guys can run. Everything else, we are at the at the very first step of setting up and building an organization. So that's the only reason why I'm still involved because we're setting up the the infrastructure in terms of having a proper marketing department social media, marketing, sponsorship, sales teams, um, communication, media, and so on and so on. Once this is in place and there's trusted people in there, hopefully I will be able to just uh, take a back seat um, and start on looking at the, the big picture again on the development. But we had, a, we had a helicopter view of where we want to go and what the opportunity was and where we want to go. Um, and then now it's really the setup of the organization from a legal structure as well as the, the manpower and making sure that, that the ideas that we have are uh, transferred to the, to, the, to, the, to the people within the organization so that they can carry on. Uh, so within the next few months, uh, hopefully I'm going to take a little bit of a backseat on the real day-to-day -day operations and uh, look more at the development side of, of not only the game, but of our club. Brilliant. And when the full-time whistle goes, Eric, what is the legacy which you and wider ownership group wishes to have left at United City Football Club? Well, first of all, I hope that, that this club will remain as a club. If it's, well, it's not going to be United City, but uh, the UCFC brand will remain. Um, and uh, if, if in 50 years or 100 years this club is still around, that would be absolutely fantastic and amazing. And, um, but what we really hope is that um, we're going to set a, as we said before, blueprint, or that we were a little bit of a motivation for other club owners and for other people to get involved in the game. Because we believe that football has such a tremendous um, potential in the country. And uh, we hope that, that uh, you know, others will follow a little bit of what we're doing. If we are succeeding, please let everybody follow. Because if we are successful, uh, we can make other people successful. But we can only be so as successful as everybody else is. If we're the only one pulling the car, uh, you know, it's going to be very difficult. We need a second and a third and a fourth one club that, that comes with us. Um, it wouldn't be good if, like in the Bundesliga now, with Bayern Munich winning nine titles in a row, or in, uh, in Italy, I think it's the same. I think Juventus also won eight or nine titles in a row. It's not good for the game. So we need to make sure that we get all the other clubs um, uh, competitive because we want to have rivalries. We want to have we want to have a good game. Um, and if the league is sustainable and the club is still around in a fifty or hundred years, and we were the ones to kicking it off, uh, I'm a happy person wherever I am at that time. And to close, Eric, um, it's something I mentioned to you off camera. We have a lot of people listening 
that wish to enter the football industry, be them students or people that are actually wishing to change industries at different paths of their life. If you were to hire somebody and if they had 30 seconds to give you an elevator pitch, what would be some of the things you would wish to hear? Uh, I'm not so sure that you have too much time to congest the, the, um, the content or what somebody is saying, but if somebody doesn't display enthusiasm and uh, has, has a passion, I mean, in 30 seconds, you know if somebody is passionate, it doesn't matter what he talks about. But if you remember someone, you usually remember him because there was something that sticks out and it's usually, it's usually the passion uh, that somebody displays when they're talking. Um, and passion can really can move rocks. Your passion can do a lot of things. If you don't have the passion, um, you know, uh, you shouldn't be in football because football is such a passionate game. can be good or bad, but you need to have, you need to have passion for what you do. Um, we don't want to have people in the organization who need to have a job because they have to provide. We need to be, have people in the organization that, that follow a vision. They believe in what we're doing and, and they're proud of, of wearing our badge and, and carrying our name when, you know, uh, when I'm not around. So it's, 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 it's really the passion. So we hire first and foremost people that have, that have passion because skills you can teach. Um, you cannot teach passion. You cannot teach attitude or commitment. So um, I think if somebody has 30 seconds with me in an elevator and I don't remember you by the time you go out and there was something missing in your tone of voice or how you displayed yourself, regardless of what the subject in the conversation was. Fantastic. Terrific way to close. Eric, it's been absolutely brilliant to have you on and just get a lens into the ins and outs of running a football club, not only a football club, but a football club that was on the break of insolvency, the break of ruin, and the steps you've taken now to build it back up. Um, Eric, I can only wish you the best of luck for the upcoming season. I'll be keeping glued to the 2021 Philippine Championship. And hopefully when the AFC Champions League begins again, or whenever it does, we'll be sure to follow your guys' progress. But Eric, thank you for coming on and best of luck for the upcoming season. Conor, it was a pleasure. Unbelievably good questions. I like this. So it's, uh, I enjoyed this very much. Wish you good luck with, with your podcast and uh, it's been a privilege of being on your show. Thank you very much, Conor. Thank you, Eric.